podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. Hello and welcome to something brand new and really old. Uh, my name is Noel Meller and this is the Film Ramp Podcast, the show that takes a look at the good, the bad and the newsworthy in the world of film in what will hopefully be one weekly bite-sized rant, if you like. Um, this was a podcast I started back in 2009 before I went off and did other things like write a book about VHS and start a 1980s pop culture podcast. Um, but I wanted to revive it. Basically, those things take a lot of work and take a lot of time, and as such, it often takes me ages to get them done. They're quite big, quite cumbersome, a lot of research goes into some of them. And I needed something that was a little bit more lightweight and agile, uh, just something whereby I could talk about stuff that I wanted to talk about. So um, what you can expect from this show, then, is... Essentially, as I say, hopefully once a week, uh, I'll be going through whatever movies I've watched that week, probably just one or two things that I've watched that week, talking about why I watched them and what I think, the usual kind of stuff. Uh, And then in a second section that I'm going to call Listen Up Hollywood, I'll be picking out one news item from the week to break down what that news is, what it means and what Hollywood might want to do to fix it, uh, in my opinion. Because let's face it, pop culture podcasts featuring the opinions of middle-aged straight white men are a bit thin on the ground these days. Um, so, <clears throat> so yeah, that's the plan. No script, no agenda, no bullshit, and no more intros. So, first up, Wolfwalkers. You can come out now. We can smell you. You stick. You're a wolfwalker. You're a wolf when you sleep. A girl when you're awake. Robin! Something's happened to me. Yeah, I can see that. It's flipping great. You're a wolf now. Be a wolf! Okay, so it is half term here in the UK. And uh, for those of you that don't know me uh, particularly well, I do have two young kids. So... Uh, at the moment, myself and the wife are um, kind of taking it in turns between ourselves. One person sort of has the kids one day, the other person works, that kind of thing. Um, <clears throat> it's also been pissing it down with rain all week uh, in my part of the world. And so plans to sort of go out and do uh, socially distant meetups with family uh, went out the window when essentially it just it was just pouring down with rain. Uh, so what I said I would do is I'd take the kids out to the cinema. I had seen on Twitter uh, a couple of positive comments about a movie called Wolfwalkers. Uh, didn't know anything about it. Um, I did know that it was from the same team that had produced um, The Song of the Sea. Uh, that was actually a film that was already on my radar because... Um, with with Halloween coming up, I have a three-year-old and a seven-year-old, and I wanted something to show them that was kind of fun and had a little bit of a creepy element to it, but wasn't too scary because the three-year-old wouldn't be able to handle it. Uh, and from what I could tell, Song of the Sea was 
story about a big brother who kind of rescues his, his younger brother, uh, his younger sister, and I, and I figured they could get something out of that. So when this popped up as being on, it seemed like an absolute no-brainer, and uh, it looked pretty interesting style-wise. So um, it's also from the creators of The Secret of Kells, which was an Oscar-nominated animated movie from a few years back. And the plot synopsis is essentially it's set in 17th century Ireland, uh, 17th century Kilkenny to be uh, to be specific, which is where a lot of my uh, family are originally from. So that was an interesting thing to see. It's weird because I remember Kilkenny as always being this place that we visited every year and there was a big field and there was a pub. And there didn't seem to be much else there. But over the years, I've seen it sort of crop up quite a lot. So I'm wondering if Kilkenny is actually a much bigger and more prominent place uh, than than maybe I remember. Um, so yeah, set in 17th century Kilkenny, Kilkenny. And it is apparently around the time of Oliver Cromwell's colonisation of Ireland. And within Kilkenny, uh, you have this sort of walled... Um, fortress sort of area which houses a town and outside of that town the farmers are being asked to sort of push further and further into the forest to chop down the trees so that there's more land for farming so it is an area which is sort of under this uh, being ruled with this sort of iron rod on Cromwell's orders apparently and as part of that a man and his young daughter have been brought in to help address the problem of wolves within those woods. So wolves are attacking the humans, the humans that are moving slowly uh, more and more into the forest, um, and men are being mobilised to to take care of the wolves and and put them all to death, basically. So yeah, that's, that's the basic setup. What happens from there is the daughter character, who's named... Robin. She is a fairly typical young girl in this kind of situation. She's she's the young girl from Brave. She's the young girl from Mulan. She's the young girl who wants to uh, have adventures and go hunting and do more interesting things than sit around and essentially do the role of a handmaid. She wants to be out there with her father, Bill. He's played by Sean Bean. And They've been brought over from Yorkshire, as I say, to sort of help uh, with this wolf problem that they've got. And she's, when we meet her, she's sort of brushing off her chores to practice her crossbow uh, skills and stuff like that. Obviously, he doesn't want her out there. It's dangerous out there. And it isn't thought to be the right thing for a young girl to be doing. Again, playing into that trope. And so, because she is a little bit of a rebel and craves the adventure, she sort of sneaks into the woods after him with her pet, Kestrel, and sort of goes on a little bit of an adventure of her own. While she's there, she meets a young girl called Maeve, and she follows Maeve into uh, the part of the the woods that's sort of, um, that is home to uh, a lot of these wolves, and she learns a little bit more about Maeve and her culture, and the fact that Maeve is essentially a little girl by day and a wolf by night, uh, aka she is a wolf walker. So yeah, it kind of goes on from there. That's basically the plot. You've got sort of um, the whole thing is anchored around the fact that the um, I think he's called, what's he called the Lord. Uh, I've, forget it is but who it is but actually the the guy who is in charge of this 
colonised sort of township um, is this religious zealot um, who is very much of God and he doesn't believe in magic um, and he just is all he wants is to just for them to just push further and further into the woods because he believes that's what God wants and that's what his country wants and he's going to mow down every tree and every wolf that stands in his way so the, the 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 dynamic is really about how those townies if you like as they're referred to in the film are sort of pushing further and further into the forest and the forest is essentially pushing back um and refusing to to, to be overtaken so yeah that's the the plot in a nutshell as i say i took my two little ones to this uh, a three-year-old and a seven-year-old and Overall, I thought it was absolutely magical. It's probably it's probably one of the best kids' films that I think I've seen in a really, really, really long time. It's perfect half-term fodder. I believe it is um, funded by, or at least now owned by, uh, Apple. So I think it's due to be released in December uh, on, on Apple TV. Whether that'll involve um, rental on streaming or it'll be on the Apple TV Plus service, I'm not too sure. But first things first, what I would say is if you do have the opportunity to go out and see this in cinemas, especially if you've got kids, do. Because it's not very often that you get to see something like this in cinemas. It is beautifully done. I can't stress enough just how beautifully done it is. 2D animation is a rare thing nowadays. What this does, though, is similarly to to Ghibli, it, it has very much got its own style. Each of the character designs feels very different to one another. The main girl, for example, looks and feels quite different to the to the uh, to the younger girl, Maeve. Other supporting characters, like sort of local townsfolk and stuff like that, again feel quite different. Some are slightly more cartoony than others, I think, uh, whereas others are much more serious and and uh, styled almost in a sort of almost as if they've been lifted from a tapestry. And it does really have that sort of feeling to it a lot of the time. The backdrops and the landscapes that are set up are absolutely beautiful. Uh, but then there are also these sort of very tapestry-like ele- elements that you see coming into it. Um, I assume it is very much based on sort of 17th century art and 17th century Celtic styling, I think. And so you really see that bleed through into to the way these backdrops and landscapes work. There's a really nice little trick and it only happens a couple of times and I'll be honest with you, I would like to have seen it an awful lot more if they'd have done it every time. It would have put the film in a, in a whole different um, in a whole different category but the, there's these colour transitions that it does where it sort of sets up the next scene in black and white and then this watercolour rush sort of sort of bleeds through the whole the whole image it's fantastic what they do settle for uh for the majority of the film is is more sort of screen wipe sort of star wars style just left and right up and down screen wipes i get that probably doing that sort of color transition thing for every uh transition probably would have been a bit much uh but when it does happen it is a beautiful thing the other thing about to say about the animation style that really stuck out to me as well is the very hand-drawn feel of it Right from the opening sequence where you sort of get a bit of that scenery and a bit of that landscape and we're walking through the woods, you see like a stag walk out on into the frame and straight away you can sort of, you can see the way the stag has been drawn, the circles of the shoulders and the hind legs and how those connect to the circles of the head. 
everything feels it feels like it's been drawn and it gives the whole thing a very organic feeling it's not always very very noticeable but every now and again you can pick up on these individual little characters and moments where it's almost you can almost see sort of through uh like tracing paper you can almost see how these characters was were built and how they move and stuff like that and it's beautiful it's really interesting you would never see that in a 2d disney animated movie it's certainly not intentionally anyway there's a lot of other very clever tricks to kind of look out for though and i think the main one for me one of the most interesting uh, effects that it kind of has is the way it frames everything very often there will be moments where the screen almost splits into three or four and sometimes that involves you know there's a, there's a scene where uh, the main character, Robin, is kind of forced to work in the scullery. And you get a sort of view of her day in sort of four panels as she's sort of cleaning over here and cooking over there and chopping over here and, and, and making beds and whatnot over there. But there's also other moments where you literally, you might see three sort of panels and in the middle it might be that there's, you know, a character speaking, but in the side panels there's sort of an army marching forward. And it, it doesn't feel forced. It feels quite organic. And again, it goes back to that sort of tapestry style that I mentioned. It feels like you're sort of you're seeing a couple of different things all on the page at the same time, but they sort of belong together. Um, it really is a thing to see. There's one moment in particular as well that really, really stood out for me, and it's where the character of Maeve you see a sort of a part of the castle with a couple of the guards in. And then she sort of skips onto the screen. It looks like it's a screen that's that's split into three. You've sort of got the background of the town on either side of what's essentially a tower in the middle. And then Maeve sort of skips onto the screen and up the side of one of what you think are these panels. And it's sort of revealed that actually what you're looking at is a room of a tower. And, and then it sort of moves up and she skips into the distance across the town away from the camera, if you like. It's very, very clever and it's very, very well done. And and quite honestly, I think if you had no interest in the story, you could probably just watch the animation style, if that makes sense, throughout the whole movie. I did care about the story. I did care about the characters. As is often the case, I was thinking about my own children whilst watching it and worrying if they were having a good time. But yeah, it, it it works very very well. But I think for me, the 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 main takeaway is is that that animation style and the, the the weird stuff that it's doing. Another thing to highlight the music. There are a few great scenes in this in this movie, and one that really stands out is the moment where, and hopefully it's not too much of a spoiler, the moment where Robin kind of inherits this wolf walker ability, and then she sort of runs off into the woods she as with Maeve she's a girl by day and a wolf by night she runs off into the woods escapes into the woods finds Maeve they both run off into the woods together and they have a little bit of an adventure and this music is playing I think the song is the lyrics are certainly running with the wolves I assume that's what it's called and it's beautiful it really lifts everything in the same way as maybe something like uh, as corny as it might be now to, to modernise, in the same way as Walking in the Air really lifts the whole of the the movie The Snowman, this re this that song really does it for this movie. Uh, it's a great moment, and I, it's also a moment where I saw 
my seven-year-old boy really lift out of his seat and sort of just focus. So yeah, uh, brilliant. And there's a couple of other great songs in there that you'll probably end up humming as you leave the cinema, should you choose to watch it at the cinema as well. Thematically, I think there's probably a lot in there for uh, for older viewers as well. Uh, this is, on the face of it, a story that is from the perspective of, of two young girls. The main young girl obviously being Robin and how her her father doesn't want her to do what she wants to do and she feels restricted and then how she imposes that same sense of restriction on her new friend so a lot of that is done from the perspective of a child but actually there's a lot of stuff in there for adults as well the most obvious thing of you know letting your kids be free to do what they want to do and this notion of religion versus magic as i say this is set in a period where oliver cromwell has come in and colonized ireland and the the idea that this religion is just being implemented on this country, this country of magic. But it is quite blatant that, you know, the bad guys are the religious and they don't believe in magic. And what the film wants us to, to understand is that magic is real and it should be protected and it shouldn't be stopped by religion. It's very clear that, you know, that religion here is seen as this cynical, evil force, uh, something that is destructive and is killing this magical land, you know, and that's something that, that I think a lot of adult viewers can, can get out of this as well and pay attention to as well. So that's Wolfwalkers, basically. It is a film that has a massive heart and a great story. It's something that kids of all ages, I think, will get something from. It's something that adults will get an awful lot from as well. If I had one criticism, I think it is a little bit overlong. I think it does feel like it ends a few times. In the very last sort of 15 minutes, there's a three, maybe three different endings. That third act does drag a little bit, especially for little ones. My youngest, who is just three, was having a great time with the film, but by the time we got to that point, I could see she was getting a little bit uncomfortable. It's not a big issue, but it is there. It will inevitably invite comparisons with Ghibli in terms of 2D animated magic and something that's a little bit different to the 3D CGI uh, stuff that we normally get fed but it is very much his own thing this is a style of animation I want to see more of I really want to see more of this studio's stuff now we will be watching Song of the Sea at the weekend and we will be watching The Secret of Kells probably on the hot on the heels of that as well so in closing then, Wolf Workers, as I say, is a movie that is in cinemas now. It is headed to Apple TV soon, apparently. But if you are in a position to get to a cinema and watch it, I would highly recommend that you do. So one thing that I wanted to talk about on this first episode of Film Rant in the news section was something that I think is... Absolutely fascinating because it seems to be changing every day, um, but also something that I think is probably going to come up time and time again. So I thought it worth addressing now because I reckon it's something that we're going to be coming back to. Um, and that is cinema versus streaming in the age of the pandemic. Now, it's a very unusual world that we live in at the moment, and it's a very unusual landscape for cinemas and the movie industry as a whole nobody really quite knows what to do with a lot of their content and it's causing so it's causing a lot of speculation and, and conflicting stories around things that may or may not re be released on uh, streaming services etc we're also seeing less 
studio-produced content, let's say, making its way into cinemas, and more stuff that's either already on Netflix or is about to come up on Netflix or is uh, owned by Apple or uh, Amazon, having some sort of theatrical release around it so that, yeah, so that people can go and see it, but also um, so that it can generate a little bit of buzz and hopefully get a few more subscribers in the door for those streaming services. So it's a little bit all over the place at the moment. And the one story that keeps coming up over and over again is big budget tentpole movies that have yet to be released and whether or not they will make their way to streaming services like Disney Plus, like Apple TV Plus, um, and like Amazon Prime. There have been a lot of big streaming releases globally this year. I guess if you look at things like Borat, if you look at things like Bill and Ted Face the Music, certainly if you take into account Mulan, those are all movies that you think would have got uh, a theatrical release. Of course, Bill and Ted, certainly in the UK, uh, did get a theatrical release. But you would have to think that it would be more of a prominent release and not so quick to turn up on streaming had we been in a in a bit more of a different situation than we are now obviously there are much bigger titles that are on the horizon uh, that have been on the horizon for quite a long time now primarily black widow james bond no time to die and uh, wonder woman 1984 all big movies that have yet to get a release that have seen their dates pushed back and pushed back uh, either towards the end of the year or in the case of Bond, April 2021 now. So we're in this sort of world of constant speculation. Of the latest speculation has been the conversation around what's going to happen to James Bond. Now, I've brought it up many times before. I'm not a huge James Bond fan. I think if James Bond was in cinemas at the moment, maybe I'd go and watch it just because there's nothing else to watch. But to be honest, I don't really care either way. What I'm more interested in is if James Bond has been snapped up by Apple and if it is going to be released at Christmas as a lot of the speculation as a lot of the speculation suggests, what does that mean for the future of cinema versus streaming, particularly at this time of year? Now, in the past, I'm somebody who has been quite open about the fact that, you know what, if you gave us universal release dates for everything and things were available in cinemas at the same time as they were available on home streaming, I would happily watch them at home and I don't really care too much about the theatrical experience. That's changed a little bit for me, I think. Um, The reason that I've felt like that in the past has had more to do with the fact that I've had a lot of bad cinema experiences and I've had a lot of bad um, experiences in theatres because of other people and other people's attitude to movies not being the same as mine. I'm sure we've all experienced it. With that in mind, I have, in the past, as I say, tended to go to the cinema and spent the first 10 or 15 minutes of every film getting more and more stressed out about who was going to walk in next or if the guy behind me was going to open a plastic bag full of smarties you know I'm constantly looking around and on edge waiting for somebody to ruin the whole thing for me and if it's a film that I've got a lot of investment in like a Marvel movie for example 
I am particularly on edge and it can ruin the whole thing. What's changed for me, frankly, is the opening of a new cinema near me. It isn't an independent as such, but it's not a very large chain. But in the UK, we have this this very small chain called The Light. And yeah, one of those opened up about a year or so back. And so it's a, it's a new building. It's beautiful inside. They do really good food. They've got a really nice bar. The atmosphere in there is great. They have a subscription service which works a little bit like the Cineworld subscription service. You pay $16.99 a month and you, you get unlimited access. So it's got a lot of good things going for it. But the main thing about it is the attitude of the audience there just seems to be a lot better. And I haven't really had, touch wood, any of this, those horrible experiences that I've had in the past at Odeon cinemas and, and Cineworld cinemas and View cinemas where, you know, people's attitudes are a bit shitty and, and they're happy to piss around with their phone all the way through a movie uh, or talk. So that cinema's changed things a lot for me. I've had a lot of great cinema experiences in there. The seats are super comfortable, even when the place is full, because the seats are so big and spaced out. Um, it doesn't really feel like you're right next to someone else. Uh, I mean, especially at the moment, because you're not right next to anyone else. So as I say... The light cinema in Stockport has changed my opinion and I would now always go and see something in the cinema first. I'll now happily go to the cinema in a midweek to go and see something that I'm only half interested in just for the sake of going to the cinema and having that theatrical experience, which is a very different thing for me. That said, I do really like the fact that we are now in a world where Bond or Wonder Woman, or Black Widow could potentially be coming to home cinema uh, and, and could be potentially in our living room as part of services that I already pay for. That said, I don't think it's something that we should all get too comfortable about. Let's say, for argument's sake, on Christmas Day, and again, this is just for argument's sake, let's say Black Widow, Wonder Woman, and No Time to Die, uh, in addition to coming to America to and um, Pixar's Soul. Let's say they're all just released at Christmas, okay? Let's say we've got access to all of those movies on our streaming services at Christmas, okay? I think that's a great thing, but I don't think it's sustainable and I don't think it would necessarily illustrate the future of, of, of content consumption, let's say. Black Widow, Wonder Woman, and No Time to Die are all very big budget movies based on very profitable franchises and franchise universes. And the world that we live in at the moment is a world where the studios have stuff and they need to do something with it. It's also a world where the battleground for people's attention is only going to intensify in the coming months and years. Now, Disney, arguably hasn't done a great job of taking on Netflix. It hasn't done a great job of taking on Prime. Sure, it's doing well, and a lot of people would argue that that was never the intention of Disney Plus anyway. But in terms of getting fresh content out the door and getting people excited about its platform, there's not really been an awful lot to look forward to. We've got a lot of Marvel TV shows that haven't happened yet. We're about to get The Mandalorian Season 2, so that's great. But apart from that, there's not really been a great deal to really sell the service on. Now, with something like 
a new Pixar movie ready to go on Christmas Day, what Disney can do is they can create a new concept for streaming services. When I grew up as a kid, at Christmas, the family all get together and sit around the TV and enjoy a big movie premiere. Now, over the years, that's died off. It started to die off with the advent of satellite TV in the UK because there were now movie channels that had more stuff on and more premieres well ahead of what was coming to terrestrial TV. But it also died off a little bit more as the the release window between cinemas and home video uh, crept in and, and got a little bit shorter. Since streaming arrived, it's really put the final nail in that coffin. I don't necessarily think that if um, BBC One says that they've got The Force Awakens on Christmas Day, which feels like a relatively reasonable... Well, let's say, let's let's go one newer. Let's say Rise of Skywalker. That doesn't feel as fresh and as exciting as it would have done in the past with um, the BBC, let's say, putting on Jurassic, Jurassic Park before everyone else. That whole idea really has died off, and I don't think even if they did have a big-budget movie, I don't really necessarily think that everybody would settle down around the TV to watch it at a specific time. What Disney can potentially do with the release of Soul, and what Disney uh, could also do with the release of Black Widow, and what HBO Max could do with the release of Wonder Woman, and what Apple TV could do with the release of James Bond, is create this new world where Christmas means new premieres. And every single year, all of the streaming services are fighting it out for our attention to put on the big Christmas movie that will once again get families sat around the TV in front of their specific service. I don't think that that content would be films as big as something like Black Widow, Wonder Woman or James Bond, but I think there is definitely an opportunity to set that theme now and revisit it again next year and plan big budget tentpole Christmas releases specifically for streaming services that are, let's say, a third of the budget of a Black Widow, Wonder Woman or James Bond. As it stands, streaming services are winning the hearts and minds of people everywhere. They were before the pandemic, and now as more people are spending more time in their homes, they're doing even better than ever. So I think in the long term, there is a world whereby your Disney doesn't necessarily need your AMC, for example. Uh, It doesn't need your Cineworld. It doesn't need your Odeon Cinemas. But for the moment, I think while we're in that transitional period, whatever it is that cinema ends up being there is an opportunity for streaming services to do something quite different. As I say, Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney+, Apple TV, these are all services that have already won the hearts and minds of people all over the world. We are all bought into this. Over lockdown, I think there was a statistic about sort of um, the number of people who had added at least, I think it was over 25% of people, that's it, over 25% of people had added at least one extra streaming service during, during the pandemic. People are now on board with the idea that they don't just have Netflix, but that they have Netflix and they have Prime and that they maybe have Disney Plus as well. Or maybe at some point they sign up for Now TV and they drop Prime for a bit, or they sign up for um, Movie for a bit and they drop Netflix for a bit. 
I think people are comfortable with having three or four streaming services on the go at any one time. So it really is down to those streaming services now to fight for our cash. And I don't think that the future is necessarily going to be fighting for our cash by volume in the way that Netflix has done it and to a degree Prime by just bombarding us with so much stuff that we feel like we've got a wealth of content to work through. I think what this is going to teach us is that it has to become about quality. It's not enough to keep churning out large volumes of stuff that we may or may not like. We might tune into something for a couple of episodes and then tune out. You really need to bring us a new Pixar movie. You really need to bring us a new Marvel movie. I think that's got to be the future of it. And I think if we decide or if the streaming services and studios decide that 2020 is the year that they launch that with big budget releases over Christmas like Wonder Woman and like James Bond and like uh, Pixar's Soul, if that's how they decide to launch this, then I'm on board. Thanks very much for listening to this new episode of my old podcast. If you enjoyed this, please let me know. If you hated this, please let me know. If you've got a specific film that you want me to cover, please let me know. I'm open to uh, I'm open to anything. Don't know which direction the show will go. Probably we'll follow this format and see how it goes. Hopefully I'll get better at it because I'm a little bit rusty, as you can tell. Um, but if you do want to get in touch, you can contact me on Twitter at the Noel Miller. Um, so yeah, that's it for this show, and I'll uh, see you next week. This podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. <laughs>